welcome to this week's episode of the Library Girl and Book Boy podcast. This week I am interviewing author and illustrator Duncan Beedy about his newest picture book, Molly's Moon Mission, full of determination and resilience. And we also have some reviews by our lovely pupil reviewers at Stedding C of E Primary School. Make sure you listen up, especially for the hot MG Leonard gossip in Duncan Beedy's interview. Today we have Duncan Beedy on the podcast and he is going to be talking to us about his latest book from Templar, Molly's Moon Mission. Hi there, Duncan. Hello, hi. And thank you for coming on to talk to us all tonight. Not at all, thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, can you tell us a little bit about the story of Molly's Moon Mission? Well, yeah, it's my um, fourth book with Templar and um, it is quite simply about a moth called Molly who uh, decides that she wants to go to the moon Uh, and being a little feeble moth she has uh, a bit of an issue getting there has a few false starts along the way Uh, and um, yeah so it's basically I suppose a tale about uh, um, persisting in the face of adversity and uh, trying to achieve your goals really. Yeah, and I love the fact that um, the main character of your book is a moth. You don't often get moths taking a starring role in picture books. So how did the character of Molly come about? Uh, Well, I was, um, because I I wanted to do a a space-themed book for quite a while. And I had the idea for this a good few years ago. Um, And there's this theory, I don't know whether it's been proven or not, but uh, whenever you see a moth, flapping around a light bulb or being attracted to a flame. Apparently it's uh, because um, they like to navigate uh, using the light of the moon. And it's a thing called phototaxis where animals are either drawn to light or um, move based on a light source. And so I thought it'd be interesting if uh, this moth, Molly, uh, is so obsessed with the moon, she actually physically gets there or wants to get there, uh, much like an astronaut would have done. So uh, partly that reason, and also at the time when I was uh, thinking idea uh, for the book, uh, we had a uh, particularly worrying moth infestation in our wardrobe in our house, which meant uh, clothes were being eaten, bedding was being eaten, carpets were being eaten. Goodness. We had all these moths everywhere. So that's what um, gave the idea to set her little world sort of in the back of an old wardrobe. Um, I thought that would be a sort of good living space for a moth really as long as it's not your wardrobe yeah yeah <laughs> not anymore thankfully they've moved on <laughs> thank goodness um so you mentioned that you had the idea for this book a couple of years ago but luckily or perhaps deliberately it's yeah released in the same year as the celebrations for the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 and of Steve Armstrong, Neil Armstrong, Steve Armstrong, different person, of <laughs> Neil Armstrong walking on the moon. Was that a happy coincidence? Or was it, it, it was a bit of a, yeah, it was a bit of a fluke um, because I, I wanted to do a space book and I had the idea for this uh, moth going to the moon. And then I was having a meeting uh, with Templar well, a good few years ago um just discussing the sort of the books i would do after the bear who stared 
And I had a few ideas and we we're sort of discussing what order we might want to do them in. And uh, Molly's moon mission was quite a popular one. And then I just thought, oh, let me just check on my phone. I'm pretty sure there's an anniversary coming up. And lo and behold, the 50th anniversary of the moon landing was 2019. So we decided to put that one on the back burner to make it a bit more, uh, um, you know, suitable for a 2019 release, what with it being the 50th anniversary. So quite fluky and also a little bit um, deliberate as well. Perfect. Well, it's very well timed and it's such a lovely book. You know, I think it will probably stand the test of time after all the space excitement of this year is done. It's it's a really lovely um, tale of, as you said, perseverance and determination. And your books always seem to have a really strong kind of moral theme or message that comes comes through them. This one, to me, was about perseverance and determination. Was that your main intent when you wrote it? It wasn't necessarily, no. Um, whenever I'm writing stories, I tend to um, start with a character. I start with an illustration, the character that I can sort of then develop and I think about the world that they might inhabit and then a story sort of comes from that. And then later on, a message might present itself. Um, I don't necessarily try and start with like a moral or anything like that. I don't like to try and shoehorn in a no. message unless it sort of comes organically when I'm, when I'm developing mm-hmm. the story. And um, Molly's Moon Mission um, initially had about, oh, I think, over a dozen redrafts, certainly. And the first draft is nothing like the story we have today. Obviously, she goes to the, the moon. That, in, in essence, it's the same. But uh, myself and my editor, Alison Ritchie at Templar, we were sort of... Um, umming and ahhing as to what the message might be. At first, it was uh, going to be a story about how an astronaut might get homesick or lonely up in space. And it was about sort of, you know, feeling lonely and wanting to be home, uh, which there still is an element of that in, in the story. But um, we were sort of redrafting ideas. And then the sort of eureka moment was when um, I uh, sort of, uh, came across the, this brilliant literary source that was a fridge magnet on my fridge. And it had a, it was a Samuel Beckett fridge magnet, which I think was a present from my mother-in-law. And it had a, a quote on it, which is quite famous. It's used by a lot of companies these days. And I think it says, um, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, uh, try again, uh, or something like uh, fail better, and um, I just thought, right, that's the sort of, that's what I'm trying to get at. It's this idea that if you fail the first time, not, not so much like the, well, the Bruce one, but uh, I think it's a motto that NASA use as well. You're probably going to fail more than once, but as long as you're making improvements with each and every stage, you're going in the right direction. Yeah. So that idea of not necessarily succeeding, but fail better. I just thought that was quite a, a nice sort of message to, underpin the story that this moth yeah she does have these quite calamitous uh results at first but with with each failure she gets a little bit closer and a little bit more confident and you know until she finally achieves what what she's out, set out to do so yeah it was really uh although you know it pains me to admit it that i owe quite a lot of uh you know where this story comes from from a fridge magnet so there you go <laughs> well who would have thought but actually 
those things do tie in really nicely with a lot of um, the kind of primary schools core values. So I can see this story being a winner for lots of school assemblies as well in the in the future. Yeah, well, um, um, cause my my daughter's now at um, uh, she's year two now at school, and yeah, it's uh, quite interesting to see with like the, the workbook she brings home the sort of uh, values and things that they're exploring. And um, it's encouraging to see. Uh, I don't think I, you know, we necessarily looked at things like that when I was at primary school, but um, no, it's good to see that those sort of themes and those sort of messages are part of their kind of standard uh, curriculum. Yeah, no, I think it is definitely, I don't remember doing much about it at school either. I don't remember much about school at all, actually, but I don't remember. No, I don't. <laughs> personal values and, you know anything like that but I do think it's good that school are encouraging resilience and determination amongst you know little ones it's good to see I think yeah definitely um so you mentioned um one of your other books The Bear Who's Dead which was your first book and you've also had um The Lumberjack's Beard which is probably my favorite so far and also okay and they all do seem to have as you said coincidentally maybe initially they all have quite strong themes running through them kind of environmental themes where you've got homelessness or forties making yeah. friends now just wondering if there was one of those books that had a more personal message for you if there's one that kind of resonates yeah i mean in terms of the message itself i don't have any sort of personal first-hand experience but for me writing the last ship was sort of the one that felt like uh, a mission and something that I really wanted to do um, because just on, on a kind of first-hand experience, I live in Bristol and um, just noticing with my own eyes, the, the sheer increase in the number of people who are homeless now is frightening. Um, and so I was, I was already, I'd already formulated this idea for a story about a pigeon who's hungry, scurries around the centre of town looking for something to eat. But again, wasn't really sure of an angle um, where I could take the story from there. And I was walking down my local high street with my daughter, who was, I think she was about four at the time. And uh, she just kind of tapped me on the arm and said, oh, daddy, what is that man's bedroom outside? I couldn't think what on earth she was talking about. didn't make any sense to me and so I turned around to see where she was pointing what she meant was there was a a man who was kind of sleeping in a shop doorway and to her obviously innocence of a four-year-old she saw it as a man who had like moved his bedroom outside Mm -hmm. and um, it just made me think that if a four-year-old has the kind of presence of mind to raise at least a question like that then it's only right for me to include it in a picture book for kids that young because they're not you know i suppose you don't want to expose children to sort of the the nastiness of the world but on you know by the same token you don't want to sugarcoat it so much that they're totally divorced from the reality reality of it as well so i just thought if she you know was inquisitive enough to ask i tried to give her you know as fair an answer as i could and thought well perhaps i could use that then in the end of the story of the last chip um, and I got together with there's a charity in Bristol called Caring in Bristol, who are a homeless charity. 
and I am selling sort of artwork from the book as well and all the money is going to them and I was uh, chatting to somebody called Jenny from their charity and it, I think she said like in the last three years the uh, number of people sleeping rough has gone up by close to 150 percent in oh. Bristol so it's well over more than doubled and so like I say it hasn't affected me personally thank goodness I've never been in that situation myself but from my own point of view you know just walking down the street where I live and seeing um, how bad the situation's getting um, for me that's why writing the last chip certainly felt um, like the most important for me um, so you know um, obviously as well uh, Temper and I decided that we would donate uh, a percentage of the profits from the book to the Trussell Trust as well, because the obviously the story deals with a hungry pigeon. It's about sort of you know hunger and poverty. So um, I'm glad we were able to do that. But uh, yeah, so in answer to your question, I suppose it's the the last chip is the one with the message that is probably closest to my heart. Yeah, and I think actually children are very observant and I think we would do them a disservice if we didn't give them honest answers as you said but I think that yeah absolutely books are a really safe way to explore the less glossy shiny aspects of life it gives them kind of a safe point of reference doesn't it yeah yeah so no I think that was brilliant I was going to mention the fact that part of the um profits were being donated to the um to charity as well I think yeah that's a good thing no it is scary um i just want to move on um to another book that you have actually illustrated but you haven't written the story this time which is um stefano the squid hero of the deep which is written by indy madure and yeah tiger and i have to say my eldest son he's nearly 10 he was reading this one on the sofa after school today out of a stack of picture books I happen to have on the end of my sofa. And he told me this one was his favourite. So oh, how, yes. how did it feel for you illustrating someone's, someone else's story? How was it different to doing your own? Yeah, because I, I mean, I do work primarily as an illustrator. I think um, if I sort of weigh up, you know, uh, my creative output, it's, it's probably 75% illustrating other works. 25% my own uh, but it tends to be a lot of non-fiction and educational sort of books so um, illustrating you know this uh, picture book story that someone else had written it was both easier and harder in a way because easier in that the book had already been written so that's one less thing yeah. for me to do so I could just concentrate on the drawing uh, but like I mentioned earlier with my process when I'm uh, writing a story or approaching a story I like to draw the character first and then maybe some other characters draw the world where they live and then the story will sort of organically proceed whilst I'm drawing I don't write it and then illustrate it it's sort of the two go hand in hand so with this as the story was already finished and the manuscript was finished it was a case of in my mind having to sort of reverse engineer it and design the characters and think about their sort of personalities, almost as if I were creating them, although a writer, another writer already had. So it's quite tricky to get my head around that at first. But um, as you know, because you read the book, the, the central character of Stefano, he's this very sweet and sort of uh, um, 
quite vulnerable character, but also um, there's a sort of charm as well there. And so it was quite easy to initially draw that character up and design him and then all the sort of subsidiary characters, all the other sort of sea life, the marine life and the, the plants and the colourful coral and all the rest of it sort of sort of came quite naturally after that. So, uh, and it, it was also, I have to say, uh, a dream job in terms of working with Little Tiger, who were very, very easy to um, sort of coordinate with, and uh, that did make my life a lot easier. So, overall, it was a very easy and pleasant experience. And I always am interested to know the answer to this question. Um, I like to know various kind of author-illustrator pairings work together with varying degrees of contact or not. So I was just wondering whether you were given the story and then left to illustrate what you envisaged or whether you were given any particular guidance by Little Tiger or by Wendy. Uh, I have literally still not uh, spoken or to or met Wendy, even uh, though the book is going to be out yeah. soon. Uh, we've had a little bit of um, contact on email and social media because we're going to be doing events with the book this summer. But during the sort of creative process, it was just a case of me liaising with uh, Dana Brown at Little Tiger. And they would sort of direct me and guide me in terms of what, uh, you know, they would like to see on each spread or um, give me ideas as to the sort of the colours to use and how vibrant to make it and that sort of thing. So it was very much just a case of me liaising with Little Tiger. Um and yeah, that that was that. Mm, see, people always find it amazing when I tell them that actually very often authors and illustrators don't actually meet until our book. Yeah. I can't believe that, that an author would hand over their story to an illustrator and then trust them. Really, I know, that. it's very trusting. And to go back to the uh, uh, earlier part of the question where you're saying, does that make it easier or harder? Obviously then, of course, you do realise when you're, you're getting carried away and doing all the illustrations and you're happy with it, Certainly when I'm illustrating my own stories, um, I'm sort of the critic I'm trying to please. So if I'm not initially happy with something, I'll work it up again and do it again until I am happy with it. And then as far as I'm concerned, great, job done. But with this, of course, you're doing all the illustrations and then you send them off, but then you have that niggling doubt, oh God, what if the author doesn't like it? <laughs> Which was an issue before and all of a sudden it is an issue and then you get self-conscious and think, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that, you know, it all went well. Phew, thank goodness. And it is beautiful. I can't wait for people to be able to um, get hold of it and enjoy it for themselves as well. So you mentioned you were doing events for this over the summer. And I always like to kind of finish off by asking very nosily what people are working on currently yeah. and what we can see coming next. You have hinted about something kind of large and, and hairy. Yeah, I uh oh well that yeah okay so there's two things i suppose then um so i've just um had my fifth picture book idea sort of signed off uh with templar and it's going to i mean i have literally just drafted the manuscript so it's not really finished and there will be some changes along the way i imagine but i can say it's about a caveman mm -hmm. and it's going to be a about language and how cavemen communicate in a very basic sort of monosyllabic way and then get frustrated at how they can't sort of express themselves in the way they want to or be understood in the way they want to until one clever caveman sort of uh, 
develops the ability to invent new words, uh, which becomes a solution to a lot of their problems, but also makes a few of his friends jealous and causes more problems. Mm -hmm. So that's the gist of that. Um, Then I'm working, I'm illustrating a picture book for another writer at the moment. And I did just check with the publishers Scholastic today to see if I am allowed to talk about it. And they said I am, so that's okay. No, yeah, I haven't signed an NDA or anything. Uh, And this is a picture book by a writer who I'm sure you've heard of called M.G. Leonard. Yes. Oh, how exciting. Go on, tell us more. Boy trilogy. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, this is a picture book about Beatles. Very exciting. It is very exciting. And I do feel, you know, very privileged to be working on it. Uh, And so I've just sort of started the artwork for that recently. Um, but yeah, so that's it's well underway and it's going well. And is that expected to be released this year, next year? It's going to be next year, I think. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, which sounds like a long way off, but then as I've discovered when you get into these projects, <laughs> the deadlines seem to come up quicker than you expect. Yeah, it's funny that, yeah, but no, it, it's going to be, yeah, it. that sounds really exciting. Uh, so I was just wondering if you have ever considered writing a first chapter book? There's quite a lot of um, brilliant new, highly illustrated first chapter books coming onto the market for children who perhaps still love picture books and the illustrations that come with those, but also want a bit more text. Is that something you consider doing with one of your existing characters or maybe a new character? Uh, yeah, I'm, I am at the moment just sort of punting around an idea for a sort of early reader book. As my daughter's getting older and her reading abilities improving, hmm. uh, you know, picture books are sort of less of a feature on her bookshelves these days, and it's more sort of chapter books. Um, and you know, I've got a couple of characters who I illustrated quite a while ago called Captain Otter and Gerbil, who you know I'm quite fond of and would like to develop a story for them. But I thought a picture book would be too difficult. Um, so I, I'm trying to, at the moment, just sort of develop this story about these two characters. Um, I'm just going to see where it leads. And obviously, I need time to sort of flesh it out. Um, so it's not, it's, it's just a personal project at the moment. It's not like I'm bound by a deadline or anything. So it's something I'm just going to dip in and out of whenever I get the chance and see where it leads, really. But um, I think picture books are still keeping me busy enough for now. Yeah, sounds like it. No, that's that's brilliant. Thank you. I have to keep my eyes and ears open on social media for any um, hints about forthcoming um, adventures. Okay. I would just like to say that's it. We've come to the end of our questions. So thank you so much for giving up your time this evening to come and chat with me. My pleasure. I appreciate it. And I'm going to say goodbye. Okay. Nice to speak to you. And you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I don't know about you, but I can't wait to read Duncan's next picture books, and I am especially excited with his collaboration with M.G. Leonard. I'm a huge fan of the Beetle Boys series, and I know that him plus um, May is going to be an absolutely fantastic collaboration. So excited. Can't wait. (coughs) 
So now it's time for our pupil reviews from Stenning CV Primary. We've got a review of the Mega Magic Hair Swap by Rachel Humes, who you may know from the Saturdays or as a TV presenter, and is illustrated by Rachel Suzanne and published by Studio Press. We've also got a review of the first chapter book, Captain Cat and the Treasure Map, which is written by Sue Mongredian and illustrated by Kate Pankhurst, and that is published by Macmillan's Children's Books. Let's hear what the pupils had to say. My name is Heidi and I am a Year 5 pupil librarian at Stenning Primary School. The book I am reviewing is The, Magi the Mega Magic Hair Swap, written by Rochelle Humes and illustrated by Rachel Susan. This book is about two girls, May and Rose, who really want each other's hair because they don't like their own hair. They find a magic coconut which lets them switch hair. This idea was my favourite part of the book. This is a magical book with a very important message, to be happy with who you are. It reminds me of the Dr Zeus poem, Today you are you, that is truer than true, there is no one alive that is youer than you. My favourite character is the coconut because it is really sweet and really cute. I love the fun style of the illustrations. I don't normally read picture books, but I really like this one. It was great. This book is aimed at five, six or seven year olds. Out of five stars, I would rate this book five, four out of five. My name is Scarlett and I am a year five pupil librarian at Stenning C of E Primary School. The book I am reviewing is Captain Cat and the Treasure Map by Sue Mongredian, illustrated by Kate Pankhurst. Captain Cat discovers a treasure map, but despite the warnings of not to go looking for the treasure, she sets off with her crew to find it. The perilous journey takes him through a humorous adventure to discover the, the cursed treasure. My favourite character is Monty the Monkey because he's really naughty and gets up to mischief. I like Kate Pankhurst's illustrations, especially the treasure map. If you enjoy funny books, you would love this story. I would recommend this book to children aged 7 to 10. Well, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and heard some recommendations you might go and pick up from your local bookshop or borrow from your library. If you want to get in touch for any more personalised recommendations for your own reading, a child you know, or perhaps for a topic you're doing in school, please do get in contact with me. You can either leave me a message direct on the Anchor app using the voicemail function, or you can find me on my blog www.librarygirlandbookboy.wordpress.com. You can always find me on Twitter or Instagram as at booksuperhero2. And I even have a Facebook group you can join called, you guessed it, Library Girl and Book Boy. Please do get in touch. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss out on next week's brilliant episode with one of my favourite funny middle grade writers, Jennifer Killick. She's talking about her Alex Sparrow series and her new book, Mo, Lottie and the Junkers, which is brilliant. Make sure you join us. See you next time.